0: So, Kathy, do you miss him?
1: Yeah, I miss him.
0: I miss him too, but also I'm excited for him. So, listener, we just brought our oldest son to college. He's at university, we would say, in the argot of the world of Ted Lasso. I think about this because season one, episode four, for the children, is just loaded with advice, especially intergenerational advice. Poor kid on the five-hour ride down to school. We just loaded him up with all sorts of nuggets of what we think of as wisdom. What a mine was, when I say this as somebody who's taught at university, as has Kathy, go in the first couple of weeks and talk to all your teachers, talk to all your TAs. It's a good idea. Anyone who is going to college or grad school or has friends or siblings or children even that are going that is good advice. I promise you, of the thousand or so students who probably came and spoke to me over my years, almost all of them did themselves a solid by coming and talking to me. It just gives you a sense of where they're coming from. It makes you know that they care enough that they came to see you. What do you think, Kathy? Is that good advice?
1: Yeah, it's good advice. But just in listening to you there, you really care mm. about this advice. It's really important to you that he hear this advice. And the advice started early and it continued and we repeated the advice. It was just a lot of advice. It was
0: a lot of advice. As a former English professor, I have to think of Polonius in Hamlet. Neither a bore nor a lender be, he tells his son. Shakespeare was making fun of the books of his day that purported to give advice to young people. What did you tell our son?
1: Most of the advice I tried to share with him was about creating social relationships. I think we looked back on our own experiences in higher education and realized that as an undergraduate student, most of the meaningful relationships that you will continue throughout your life, you make them pretty early on in your first year. I was giving him a lot of advice about how to create bonds with people and How you should just go along with things that other people want to do so that you can get to know them. Even if the things that they're proposing to do are seeing movies you don't want to see or doing activities you might not want
0: to do, that it's worth doing it. Again, solid advice. Born from experience and hard to argue with. We dropped him off. We put everything in his room. We'd said our goodbyes. We heard uh, a mother talking to her son who was going to school too.
1: We saw a mom standing with her son. They were clearly saying their goodbyes. And she looked right at him and she said, get everything out of this and don't drop out.
0: That about sums it up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely more pithy and got right to the heart of the issue.
0: That basically summarized the five hours of advice he got.
1: I'm Kathy Buckman.
0: And I'm Mike Merrill. This is Lasso Lessons. Coming up next is Season 1, Episode 4 of Ted Lasso, For the Children. Episode 1, Season 4 of Ted Lasso, For the Children, opens with an empty locker room, and then Roy slamming through the door, even more enraged than usual. The team is doing poorly. He and Jamie nearly fight. Higgins and Rebecca, meanwhile, are arranging tables for a charity dinner that Rebecca is hosting. Ted enters and asks if she can seat him with Roy and Jamie. She agrees. Higgins announces that Robbie Williams, the charity's intended entertainment, has canceled. Rebecca signs him the seemingly impossible task to find someone better.
1: As a member of the audience here in the United States, I have to admit, I have no idea who Robbie Williams is. I think from context, it's clear that he's well-known and that trying to find someone better at the last minute is probably not something that Higgins is going to be successful at. One of those entertainment tropes for the bad boss, the bad boss tells you to do something that's clearly impossible. It feels like a moment out of The Devil Wears Prada.
0: You could definitely imagine Meryl Streep assigning this one to Anne Hathaway. Our attention now turns to everyone headed to the dinner. And there's a wonderful little set piece here, if you will which is each character crosses the red carpet and it simply accentuates their personalities. Jamie and Keely are making a show of it. Sam is thanking the photographers and even trying to learn their names. And Roy storms through, his hand raised to shield his face. No, no, no. Rebecca's nerves about hosting the event are worsened when her ex-husband Rupert appears unannounced.
1: We haven't talked about him much yet, have
0: we? He comes up front and center, literally, in this episode.
1: Yeah, he's somebody who likes the spotlight, clearly. You have to contrast this to the role that I think American viewers will most readily associate this actor with. I am guessing, Mike, that you were not a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan.
0: I didn't watch Buffy, but I do know this is the actor Anthony Head. And I looked it up, and his name on Buffy the Vampire Slayer also Rupert.
1: Yes, that was his name. Though, because it's a high school setting for this show, they mostly call him Mr. Giles, but his first name is Rupert. This actor was Buffy's kind of mentor. He stayed in the background. He tried to train her and help her with her vampire slaying, but it was a very different character.
0: Ted tries to mediate between Roy and Jamie, who are both very resistant. Ted eventually gets Roy alone and asks him what he was like at Jamie's age. Roy admits that he too was a self-centered prick. Roy then approaches Jamie and they both share their views the other and they both minimally admit to fault. Rupert has offered to text Robbie Williams. Ted goes in search of Rebecca to see if she'd accept the help. Instead, he finds her outside upset after her brief encounter with Rupert has reawakened the painful dynamics that characterize their marriage. Ted comforts her and she hugs him.
1: That hug is really important. A lot of hugging in this episode.
0: Nate and Roy share a rather awkward hug as well.
1: This puts me in mind of something that I believe was one of the rules in the writer's room for Seinfeld, classically a comedy about unlikable people making bad choices. In the writer's room, apparently the rule was no learning, no hugging. Ted Lasso's writer's room must have very different rules.
0: Almost the opposite.
1: Yeah, good for us, because this is a podcast about what people can learn and lessons from Ted Lasso for leadership.
0: Ted, who clearly has sensed some of the undercurrents in the meeting between Rebecca and Rupert, challenges Rupert by pointing out that he could have been the one who asked Robbie Williams not to come. Ted and Higgins then retrieve the busker we have seen in the park both in this episode and the previous one.
1: Again, the gun goes off. The bit players in the background of Richmond end up becoming important.
0: And that's both something the show does to surprise us and also reinforces Ted as an inclusive leader, as someone who sees the quote unquote minor players in the background and can elevate them when they warrant it. Indeed. The busker, who Rebecca calls Cam something, proves himself worthy of the honor and gets an enthusiastic response from the crowd. Keeley, who has been at odds with Jamie throughout the evening. Dumps him unceremoniously, following Rebecca's suggestion that she consider the importance of accountability.
1: There is a moment in this episode where Ted says to Nate, they're in a spinach in the teeth moment. I think we all know what that means. It's that moment when somebody doesn't know something about themselves and you are faced with a choice. Are you going to step in and tell them something that might be uncomfortable in the moment, but that might actually be helpful for them? Probably the first thing I want to talk about is. All the advice, all the spinach in the teeth moments that we observe in this episode, where somebody makes a choice to offer essentially feedback to another character. Feedback is one of those words. I think most of us in the work setting, if somebody says they want to give us some feedback, we're going to get that little knot in the pit of the stomach. It just almost always means that something's coming that you maybe don't want to hear
0: it does seem to be something that is apparent in nearly every scene. Let me run through some of the examples of feedback and we'll dig into the ones that make sense. Jamie's profane advice for Sam to get a better father. Ted's feedback for Nate that his suit is too big. Keely tells Rebecca on the red carpet, hold your arm like this. Ted suggests to Rebecca for her speech making to make fun of herself. Rupert suggests to Rebecca that she be careful with the champagne. Ted has a little pithy moment where he suggests for Roy that uh, you shouldn't waste your youth on the young and don't waste your wisdom at this point, Roy. Implicitly, Rebecca suggests to Keeley that she find an accountable man. And finally, at the end, when Roy tells Keeley not to involve him in her problems with Jamie.
1: Feedback is really a hot topic right now. I would say a lot of the reasons that I've been hearing people talk about feedback. Is because of a recent book about the company culture at Netflix. The title of the book is No Rules Rules, co-written by Netflix CEO Reed Hastings and organizational psychologist Aaron Meyer, who is also a professor at INSEAD.
0: The book actually tries to implement some of the feedback culture. Literally, Reed Hastings will present his side of the story and Aaron Meyer will come in and comment on it and say what she agrees with, what's been proven by research, and what she disagrees with, or seems to be a question in research. It's unusual in that the two authors are a little bit at odds.
1: Completely. And, and I think also that it's really counterintuitive. The first thing that's really counterintuitive gets back to what we're talking about here, which is feedback. Most people, when they have feedback to give to somebody at work, don't give it i think we all have had the experience working in organizations where people are allowed to just do things badly without knowing that other people think that they're doing it badly generally speaking grown ups don't like to tell other grown ups you're doing it wrong so part of what this book is trying to say is that number 1 feedback is a skill and you can give it well and number 2 if you create a culture where there's an expectation that people are going to give and receive feedback, it creates a holding environment. That's a little bit of a technical term, but it creates a space, let's say, where people feel more comfortable giving and receiving feedback.
0: The previous episode, Ted instituted the suggestion box. That's sort of a simple incarnation of feedback culture, right?
1: Yeah. I I like that callback. The next level up from the suggestion box is to now create a world where you don't just write your feedback anonymously on a slip of paper. Now you have to own it. You have to stand there face-to-face and talk to somebody in delivering the feedback. Let's talk about some of the skills that you need to do that. Netflix is very specific. They call it the four A feedback approach. So there are four A's. Two of them are for when you're giving the feedback And two of them are for when you're receiving
0: the feedback. Tell us about giving feedback.
1: When you are the person giving feedback, the first A is aim to assist. This has to do with your intent. If you are giving feedback, you need to be sure that you are doing it from a place where you're really truly trying to help the other person. You're not just venting at them to get frustration off your chest. You're not intending to shame them or further your own agenda. You really need to be focused on the intention to help the other person.
0: Good intent, okay, what else?
1: The second A, if you're giving feedback, is actionable. You want to word this feedback in such a way that it is very clear to the person you're giving the feedback to what they could do differently. Don't just point out the problem, but help them see what they could do differently.
0: And I think part of this is also relevance and timeliness as well, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Actionable feedback requires you in time and space to be able to act on it. So it has to be relevant to things that you're doing and timely in such a way that you could actually fix the problem.
0: So when I'm giving feedback, I want to think about aim and actionability. Make sure I have good intent. I want to make sure the person can actually do something with my feedback. How about when I'm receiving feedback?
1: When you're receiving feedback, the first A is appreciate. Receiving feedback doesn't always feel great. I think it actually kind of feels terrible. So you really need to organize yourself in such a way to understand that this is something the other person is doing to help. And so you need to try to show appreciation to the other person who is giving you this feedback by listening carefully, considering the message with an open mind and avoiding getting defensive.
0: When I get feedback, I've got to show that I'm happy to get it, as it were. At least I'm, I'm appreciative of it. What else?
1: The final A is accept or discard. If you receive feedback, and if you work within a culture of feedback, you may get a lot of feedback. The guideline is, is that it's your choice. You can either accept the feedback and act on it. Or if you feel like there's context, the other person is missing and you think that you're doing things the right way you can discard.
0: This seems so important and something that I think probably might surprise people a little bit. You're not required to incorporate the feedback into your future working relationship with that person or anybody. You are supposed to be appreciative and you're supposed to think about it. You're supposed to have listened. You're supposed to have really tried to understand and you're trying to see if it does apply But at some point, the responsibility is upon you, the receiver of the feedback, to decide when, how, or if you will at all, incorporate that feedback. A
1: colleague of mine would call this take it or leave it feedback. Take it or leave it feedback is actually really important because otherwise, what is it? Is it a demand? So I think it is important that all feedback be considered as something that the recipient needs to evaluate and make a decision about.
0: Let's talk about the counterexample since it leads off. We see Ah. Jamie say, hey, can I give you some feedback to Sam who eagerly says, oh, of course, Jamie, yes. He's getting some attention. He's so excited to hear what Jamie, the star, has to tell him. And Jamie's response is none of these four things, I'd argue (laughs)
1: It's basically making a mockery of the idea of feedback. The intention is clearly to shame Sam. The feedback is not PG 13. When Sam acknowledges that he did not make a good cross to Jamie on the football pitch and Jamie offers to give him feedback, Jamie's feedback contains these elements. First of all, find a time machine. Second of all, stop your mother from conceiving you with whoever your father is, and find somebody who truly has soccer talent and make that your father.
0: Maradona is the uh, example I believe he gives.
1: Clearly, this is a mockery. The aim is to shame. It is not actionable since time travel does not exist.
0: And take it or leave it as irrelevant since it's impossible to achieve. One of the very next examples is Nate arrives at Ted's residence, and they're going to go together to Rebecca's charity dinner. Ted wants to tell Nate that his suit is too big.
1: Ted does a lot of really important things. First of all, he asks Nate, is it okay if I give you some advice here? Once Nate says, sure, then Ted says your suit's too big and takes him to a shop and buys him a new suit. I think that this is part of what makes feedback work if you're the leader. Somebody in Ted's position, if they give somebody feedback that they can't act on without a budget or they can't act on without some form of support, Ted is immediately giving that support. So he's fixing the problem in a way that we assume Nate would not have been able to do on his own.
0: He's well-intentioned. He actually acts on it with Nate. Nate could have said no thanks for the suit, but that doesn't really make sense here.
1: You get the feeling that that's exactly the spirit that Ted intended the offer.
0: Another interesting one is when somebody who feels themselves in an inferior position Typically, when there a feedback in the corporate setting, it tends to be top-down. There's very little bottom-up feedback, frankly, except for these kind of once-a-year hidden reviews that everybody's a little afraid to actually say anything real on because they're afraid they're not as anonymous as they claim to be. The ethos of the Netflix feedback culture is one in which you are expected to give feedback to your peers and even to your quote-unquote superiors regularly, in the moment. Rebecca in many ways is uh, superior to Keely. Keely feels that she's intimidated by Rebecca, but she has specialized knowledge. She knows how to walk a red carpet. And so she tells Rebecca how to hold her arm, how to stand. And then she goes behind the photographers and cheers Rebecca on.
1: I really like that example because it gives us an opportunity to mention something really important about the feedback model that we just described. In order for feedback to be actionable, it actually needs to be timely. It it doesn't help to give the feedback when the moment has passed, where somebody could make use of it. When Keely gives this feedback to Rebecca, it is incredibly timely. They are standing next to each other in front of the step and repeat on the red carpet. This is exactly the moment when Rebecca needs this advice. And the fact that she's open to it And that Keeley feels comfortable enough to give it is something that helps us see their relationship is, is starting to develop.
0: So another spot where we see some feedback happening is one where the intention clearly is a negative one and is experienced by its recipient that way. We've already seen one example where Ted offers to Rebecca the suggestion that she make fun of herself. He's careful about this. It's a very much take it or leave it kind of thing. He backs off from actually giving specific examples. But the counterexample of this is Rupert, who also says he's trying to help Rebecca with the auction. He says, be careful with the champagne.
1: A lot of people giving feedback may tell themselves that they're being well-intended. It is possible, though, that they might have a blind spot about their own intentions. I think that's clearly the case here with Rupert and Rebecca, that Rupert's intention in giving this feedback is probably something that was a dynamic in this marriage where he felt that he needed to tell Rebecca how to behave. There was probably a time when that felt like the way it should be to her. But now that they're divorced, she's starting to see that's not feedback. That's not advice. That's the kind of behavior coming from him that is really not terribly well-intended.
0: He always said to me, eat this, wear that. This clearly was a pattern in their marriage. She's beginning to recognize the problem. And very importantly here, Ted, you can see it on his face, he gets all that during the conversation. He's very tuned. Not only is he very adept at presenting himself, but he's very tuned to things that are going on between other people, and he sees this. He sees what Rupert's doing. This is a spot where we see another one of Ted's talents at work because he's registering what's going on. He later challenges Rupert, says, basically, I think you're the one who told Robbie Williams not to come. And he says to Rebecca later, you think only you can see him. For what he is, but I can see him too. This is very much aligned with his ability as well to see the busker and to realize the busker is working a quarter in Richmond, but he actually has the potential for something much bigger.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely a theme here for our understanding of Ted as a leader. I think the element that we're picking up on here, some people might call this empathy. There's a definition of empathy that it's really just the ability to understand how other people are feeling and thinking that's definitely what Ted is doing here. And in fact, there's another good example at the beginning of the episode when Rebecca is trying to pick out her outfit and Ted tells her that she seems to be a little revved up. She clearly is. She
0: denies it. She denies it. I'm (laughs) not not revved up. No, no,
1: I'm not revved up at all. Exactly. But what Ted does here is he's able to see this, this sort of inner state that she's in and by naming it for her, that is actually one of the useful things that you can do with empathy is to help other people see an emotion or a state they may be in that they aren't fully aware of. All right. So what I want to talk about now is the advice giving that Ted does with Roy. So at this point, Ted has the opportunity, not just to give feedback, but to help improve the dynamic and the relationships between members of his team. I said before that a lot of us avoid giving feedback. One thing that leaders definitely avoid is acknowledging and taking steps when they notice that two members of their team have friction.
0: Yeah, I'd say as hard as it is when you're a leader to give feedback to others, trying to mediate conflicts between two people is maybe even harder because when you give feedback, you can say to yourself, I'm giving feedback. I'm trying to help this individual. But when you see two people struggling, you're just so concerned about stepping in that you're gonna look like you're taking one side or another. I think it's probably one of the hardest things you face as a leader.
1: No question. And I think a lot of people feel like they don't have the skill to deal with it. And I think a lot of people feel like they're just gonna make it worse. So let's look at what Ted does in this episode. The first thing that Ted does is when he notices that Rebecca and Higgins are setting the seating chart for the charity event, he asks to have Roy, himself, and Jamie all put together at the same table. Once they arrive at the event and all three of them realize they're sitting at the same table, Roy and Jamie are not happy. He acknowledges directly that, yes, he seated them together for a reason so that they can start to work things out with each other. And I think this is really important. If as a leader, you're going to try to address this sort of dynamic, it is important not to do it in a manipulative way. I would define manipulative as having the intention to do it, but not sharing that intention with anybody else, rather just stage managing. Instead, what Ted does is he very directly acknowledges that that's exactly what he's up to.
0: Roy has previously complained about Ted's manipulation of him. Maybe Ted's responded to that a little bit. Ted's trying to be on the level with everyone involved.
1: Exactly. I'm going to bring up another leadership book. It's really a classic in the literature about leadership. It's called Leadership Without Easy Answers. And the author is Ronald Heifetz. The thing that I really took away from that book is that if you really want to define what a leader can do, that only a leader can do, that is a quality that makes good leadership. One of these things, according to Heifetz, leaders can create a holding environment. And that's just a technical term for the structure, the setting, the occasion that brings people together. And what you can use that holding environment for, according to Heifetz, is solving problems. He thinks that a hallmark of good leadership is that leaders don't give people the answer, especially when there aren't easy answers. They create the situation that brings people together in a safe, supported way so that they can solve the problem. And I'm going to call table four at this charity auction. I'm going to call this the holding environment. This is where he's creating the setting and the occasion for Roy and Jamie to make some progress on this. Now, what happens is interesting. Ted tells them that they need to find common ground, that they need to find some kind of mutual respect. Roy gamely tries to find something that he respects about Jamie, and Jamie completely rejects the idea that there's anything he could respect about Roy. This is round one, it ends in defeat. Ted doesn't always succeed in the first round, but he's willing to make the attempt. And this is this willingness to be vulnerable. If you're the leader and you're going to try to help two members of your team have a better relationship, you need to be willing for that to not work, at least in the short run.
0: This is the hallmark of TED, right? His resilience or grit, his willingness to engage, lose and engage and lose and engage over and over again.
1: Completely. And I think it also brings us to one more theme that I think is really important. When Ted creates this holding environment for Jamie and Roy to start to work on improving their relationship, what he's essentially doing for them is trying to create a situation for perspective taking. Perspective taking, it's a discipline. It's an activity. It's a moment where you try to say, how does the world look to somebody else? Not how does it look to me? or what's my judgment of what I think of this other person, but literally, how does this other person see the world? He asks a really important question of Roy. He says, Roy, what were you like when you were 23? Which is Jamie's age. This one-on-one approach is, I think, his second attempt at it, and he gets through. Roy realizes that he's been Jamie. He knows how Jamie is feeling. And having the ability to take Jamie's perspective puts Roy in a different position and makes Roy willing to try again with Jamie. They have this sort of nice moment where Roy says, look, I used to be young. I used to be on a football team with an old guy who I hated. Here's how we worked it through. We each told each other what we thought of the other person.
0: He's showing Jamie that he is taking his perspective. We sometimes think of Roy being a little less skilled in the uh, social arts, but he does have something in him that allows him to create this special moment.
1: He does it in his own vocabulary. He doesn't do it in the language of executive coaches or leadership books. He says, all right, you tell me why I'm a prick. I'll tell you why you are. But this kind of works. The, the piece of feedback or the piece of advice that leads to the really stunning development at the end, where Keely ends her relationship with Jamie, what sets that all in motion is an observation from Rebecca to Keeley, which I think really comes from a place of intending to help. It certainly feels pretty timely. And it, it's not even really given as advice. It's simply said as a piece of wisdom, Rebecca notes that one of the issues that she realizes that her marriage suffered from was that Rupert just didn't take accountability for the things that he said and did. And this word accountability, I think lands pretty strongly with Keeley.
0: When you say it that way, it is interesting because in some ways, Jamie refuses to be accountable for the team's losses. He only focuses on his own success. He only focuses on his own goals his own useless goals, he will not take accountability for the team. He's not fully taking accountability for his own actions. We see him pull a kind of unpleasant stunt where he invites another woman to the dinner to bid on him and then says, yeah, it's good. It's good for me, basically.
1: And then when Keely is upset, he apologizes and she says, what are you apologizing for? And he has no idea. He is just apologizing because he knows that at that moment, it's the way to calm her down. He does not take accountability for the thing he did that hurt her.
0: We've seen this from Jamie before, where he says, sorry, coach, in the moment, but doesn't really mean it.
1: Yep, exactly. So Jamie, I think, is the piece of the puzzle that is not falling in line with the Ted Lasso way here. He continues to be, I don't know, the grit in the oyster. The uh the the hair out of place.
0: <laughs> Never is there a hair out of place on Jamie's head. Ever. Definitely
1: not. Definitely no.
0: not. It's two pieces of advice that actually gets her to make this very dramatic thing. Mm. It's Rebecca's kind of implicit advice, and it's Roy's very explicit.
1: Yeah. Man. So this is the first crack, maybe the first aha moment for Keely. But the one that seems to push her over the edge is when Roy comes and finds her while she's talking with Jamie. Earlier in the charity event, there was an auction of the players. Keeley found herself getting angry at Jamie and so retaliated by bidding on Roy. Roy comes up to the two of them and says, hey, don't ever do that. Don't involve me in your little fights. It made me feel like a fool. This is Keeley's moment. Is she going to take accountability for what she did? Clearly, something has gotten through. And Keeley apologizes directly acknowledging what she did, acknowledging the effect it had on Roy and all the pieces fall into place. She's ready to be an accountable person. And she knows that Jamie isn't.
0: So she breaks up with Jamie on the spot. On the spot. The title for the children is interesting too, because it is the name of the charity. It also seems to point out how the older members of the team have to, in some ways, Instruct the younger members. We see the youngest member of the team try to instruct uh, another younger person. It doesn't go so great, but we see Ted talking to Nate, talking to Rebecca. We see Rebecca talking to Keely. We see Roy talking to Jamie. I think it does make a case for, as Ted points out, the importance of wisdom that with age and experience comes some knowledge that can in fact be imparted upon the children, upon the younger members of the group.
1: I think for a podcast that's about learning and development, that's what life is. You don't stop learning and eventually the things that used to be hard for you get easier for you. And then the next step in that is you try to help other people.
0: You're Team Lasso, not Team Seinfeld, it sounds like.
1: Uh, Well, I do really like Seinfeld. I think it's one of the best television shows ever made, but you're not going to get a lot uh, of lessons for life or leadership out of Seinfeld. Come on! (laughs) If you're looking for a show to watch that might actually help you be a better person, I'm not going to recommend something.
0: So that is our breakdown of season one, episode four of Ted Lasso for the children. Coming up next is episode five of the first season of Ted Lasso, called Intriguingly Tan Lines.